Derek Wetmore is down in Fort Myers, Florida, Hammond Stadium, where the Twins are training during the spring for baseball. And they play the Gophers tonight. This will be the first actual game action. Then they start their their uh, their slate of spring training games shortly after here. So let, let there's a million places we could go here, Derek, including looping you in on the argument we had for three segments. But Phil wow. Hughes, we talked about Phil Hughes yesterday a little bit. I yeah. love his honest and refreshing quote that I saw. I can't remember where I saw it, but this morning or last night. And maybe you were there for this. So Phil Hughes is uh, is set to make $13.2 million this year and then $13.2 million next year because the Twins got a little too excited after one good season and gave him an unnecessary contract extension. But he said, quote, I don't, I don't want to be known as the guy who had the bad contract, end quote. Hmm. He wants to give it his all and see what happens. Yeah. The problem is he's already made a lot of money the last few years. It's already a bad contract. So I guess if he were like a good, solid number 3 starter who could pitch almost 400 innings the next two years, you'd forget about it. Uh, but interesting to hear the refreshing honesty there from Phil Hughes. Yeah, that's typical Hughes from my experience. Talking with him, he is one of the most... Um, I think I think there's always this divide between what you think an athlete is going to be like because you see him on TV, and then maybe what he's like as a guy like Judd. I, I think of Adrian Peterson... Or guys that you never really, I mean, you're still arm's length away from all of these guys, even as a reporter who covers the team every day. Phil Hughes is one of the people who you're like, oh, that's a professional baseball player? Like, And I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean, like, you think that he's just a person that you would run into at the Y. And uh, he he's very down to earth about this. We talked yesterday, Phil, about... Thad Levine is, every time he opens his mouth about Phil Hughes, he has something glowing to say about him. He, he went on MLE Network the other day and told uh, Chris Russo that they feel like th- that Phil Hughes compares exceptionally well to some of the other free agents that were out there on the market that they could have signed, they could have brought in. So Thad said, after the second surgery, they sort of feel like they added another free agent. Okay, well, I joked yesterday that if if you added a free agent for two years and $26.4 million with a huge question mark hanging over his injury history, that's not exactly a good signing. But Levine went on to say that they expect him to be sort of a mid-rotation starter if it goes well for him, that he can be one of those innings eaters and push the young guys back down to AAA. I'm definitely in the camp that's I'll believe it when I see it, but if the Twins do get that, that would be a big step forward for the rotation this year. So who gets a look in uh, tonight's game then? I, I take it that they, they're going to uh, parade the big leaguers out probably tomorrow against Boston. Is this going to be a bunch of uh, prospects probably against the Gophers tonight? Starting? Yep, yep. you'll see mostly prospects. In fact, I took a picture of the lineup card. I can get that for you guys here. Let me dig into my pocket. I know that Steven Gonsalves is starting the game, and he's got a shot okay. to make the club, but I kind of I sort of see that as a nominal shot. Like He can pitch great in spring training. But unless some other people in front of him in that line get hurt, I'd be pretty surprised if he goes north. Um, same for starter uh, Fernando Romero and Aaron Slagers and guys like that. They could very well pitch in the big leagues this year, and I expect them to make at least one start apiece. But I'm not sure that uh, end of March is, is really where you have circled for Consalves. Um, but I do have the lineup, and it's uh, Zach Granite's leading off, and that's probably going to be the most familiar name the rest of the way. So if you want to stop me, feel no, free. We, no, we can stop. That's, we'll, tru- we'll trust your judgment on that one. Yeah, um, Nick Gordon uh, will play tonight, though, and he'll play okay. shortstop, so you get to see him. Yeah, like he, he's a guy. So let's let's go to Nick Gordon here for a second because that's one. 
I would right now, without having seen much of him outside of just some highlight reels, and uh, I, I would trade him for an established piece in a package. What and that's because I think he's not extraordinary at anything. I think he's solid at a lot of things. He doesn't have blow you away stolen base numbers. He's a guy who can put the bat on the ball, but has a pretty uh, pretty high strikeout rate in the minor leagues and has some power, but not like thirty home run power. Maybe there's still more to fill out and might be a shortstop, but might be more like a second baseman. So, yeah. I, it, how does the team and and the people you talk to feel about Nick Gordon and his upside? I get the sense that it's split, but when you're talking with people, they mostly talk about how they believe in him as a shortstop. And I haven't seen enough of him to even question that. All I know is that there are uh, scouts and uh, and writers and analysts and stuff that work for the publications that cover the minor leagues that have some questions about Gordon. Um, and I think it mostly relates with, to the arm, but I, I'd have to see more of him to really feel good about that judgment. I just think so much of Nick Gordon's future is tied into a current twin who's entering the final year of his contract this year. That'd be Brian Dozier. Uh, you, you wonder about Jorge Polanco up the middle, and apparently there are people who wonder about Gordon as well. Uh, is that your double play tandem in 2019, or do you re-sign Dozier, bring him back? Um, I mean, plenty of possibilities that could be left to play out. But one of the things I'll be watching this spring, Phil, isn't whether or not he can hit. You can see his numbers in the minor leagues. A couple of slumps last year at AA, but for the most part, has established himself as one of the better hitters on every team he's been on. So I expect that he'll eventually hit in the big leagues. But hitting looks different if you're hitting those exact same numbers from shortstop than if you are like a bad defense second baseman. That They're two completely different players. Are you going to be a, a star like Brian Dozier, or are you kind of a Dan Ugla slugger? Uh, those are kind of two extreme examples. I don't see Gordon filling either one of those, but just the idea that the number one thing they're going to be watching is that his glove, his range, his arm at shortstop, and can he stick there as soon as next year in the big leagues? So, Derek, let's play this out and say that uh, for, for the long term they keep all these guys. Yeah, Where do you think Gordon plays then? Well, if you keep Dozier, it gets tough because Polanco sort of, in my mind, took a step forward last year at shortstop. I still have questions about him. I don't right. think he's a goal glover. But who but, moves then? Yeah, you'd have to move somebody, right? Maybe you bump Dozier over to third base or something like that when the big guy mm-hmm. has to go play first, like mm-hmm. you've been telling me for five years. And uh, then, okay, maybe that opens up second base for either Polanco or Gordon. I haven't heard any talk about that being a real possibility for the Twins because I think they're committed to Dozier at second base, but... There's a very real possibility that he won't be in a Twins uniform next year. If they don't get an extension done, he'll be a free agent and can go sign anywhere. So uh, it's it's a little premature to say, but the, the easiest thing that I can tell you is that something would have to give. You couldn't just keep going forward with all those players at their position. Derek, what more at Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers? He's covering spring training for 1500ESPN.com, the Touch Em All podcast. So I have completely changed my tune on Eddie Rosario over the past 12 to 18 months. And it's not, I don't think it's because the Eddie Rosario skeptics two years ago were wrong. I think it's because Eddie Rosario completely changed in one important area, making contact and patience with, (laughs) with, you know, when behind in the count, you don't have to swing at everything. So I've gone from, you know what, I would trade him at the, the first chance I got, you know, May, June, I would, I would trade him to. And now I look and say, that's a guy who went from 26% strikeouts in his plate appearances down to 18, which is much closer to, I think that might even be below league average now. 
He's a high contact guy. He increased the walks, almost doubled the walks from the year before. Um, I and I think he's got a better chance to uh, to play better defense in left field too. He takes some weird routes, but I, the point is here, long winded, Derek. I really like Eddie Rosario now. I didn't a year ago, and it's because he changed my mind by just being better in those areas. What do you yeah. think? Well, he's really taken a big step forward. I give him a ton of credit for that because I had those same questions about Rosario. I also give James Rousen a ton of credit for that. I think the first year working with the new Twins hitting coach, Rosario was really able to refine his approach. And it sounds simple. Hey, don't swing at bad pitches and then make more contact. And when you do make contact, hit it really hard. It's like, okay, great. Well, good. Thanks, uh, physics professor. Now I'm going to go do that and, and try to become a star hitter. But... Truthfully, what Rosario was able to do was lay off those bad pitches. So no longer can an opposing pitcher just go try and throw a fastball at it at the eyes and Rosario's invariably going to swing at it and get himself out or get himself behind in the count where now he has to be defensive. Rosario has really reigned that sort of, I would call it recklessness. I, some people like aggressiveness out of hitters. I think that what he was before last year is just reckless. You're swinging at bad pitches. You're getting yourself into bad counts. Then you don't have to. Like the, the opposing pitcher doesn't have to give you a fastball. They don't have to give you a good pitch in your happy zone. When you are able to take those pitches, when you're able to lay off the bad stuff, they do have to come over the plate more. They have to go into a zone where they know you can hit it and hit it hard, and they just have to hope that you're off that day. Rosario and uh, I think even Miguel Sano has made some strides in that area where you're looking for one specific pitch to hit. Byron Buxton took a big step forward in that last year. There's one spot where I can crush it, and if it's not there on the first pitch, I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to get in control of the count, so then he has to come back to me. It's a very cat-and-mouse game. I think Rosario's gotten a lot better at it. And, Phil, I specifically remember, this isn't to throw you under the bus. I'm jumping right there with you. We had a podcast last spring when Mm -hmm. you were down here in Fort Myers where neither one of us batted an eye at the thought that you might trade Eddie Rosario. Now if I were to tell you, hey, Judd, you got to trade one corner outfielder, Rosario or Kepler, who are you keeping? Yeah. It's changed. It's entirely yeah. changed. Last year, that was not a question. Last year it was Kepler's on yep. this upward trajectory. Right. He's fast. He's got an arm in right field. He covers some ground. Boy, I really like his swing. He looks like a young Justin Morneau. And now it's... Well, he's got some questions still. He's got some things to answer. Meanwhile, Rosario just surged last summer. I think that's true. Uh, I think there are three huge improvements on the Twins lineup last year, and Rosario's strongly in that group. The others, it's it's Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton, and Jorge Polanco. All really, really turned it on midsummer, and one of the big reasons why the Twins now have, for my money, one of the best offenses in baseball. Hey, what's been the reaction uh, down there with, to the pace of play rule changes. Have you talked to players about it? Because yeah. it seems like it's getting a lot of pushback, and pitchers are very upset that the trips to the mound are, are, are going to be, what, down to six per game per team? Because, darn it, we've got to change signals, and we've got to talk about it, and it's got to be consistent throughout the game. Yeah, some guys aren't so worried about that because, you know, if you have to change your signs with a runner on second, there are some ways to do it. And and you can prepare pregame, too. So there's there's a number of ways. You'll have to change your strategy or change how you prepare, but it's not going to be that big a deal. I think what people were a little antsy about was the potential of a pitch clock, which now won't be happening. Brian Dozier said flat out at Twins Fest it would be a horrible idea. The players are strongly against it. That was as far... That was as strong uh, as, as strong a stance as I'd heard any player take was Dozier. He said that some of the players that went to the minors last year and had to deal with the pitch clock, he said that it was a disaster. 
But when you talk to some of the players in the lower minors who maybe just started with it and it's just part of the game, I don't think they sense it's as disruptive as uh, the big leaguers do. The big thing that people were worried about, though, Judd, is will it change the way the game is played? You know, if you're going to get a ball for violating the pitch clock, well, what if it's full count in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded and this is the most tense moment of the game and you're trying to gather yourself as is the hitter? And you take 1.5 seconds too long. Now it's like a right. it's like a, a walk off clock violation. I don't think anybody wanted to see that in baseball, and we're at least a year away from that happening now. So I, I think, relatively speaking, the players are pretty happy about yeah. it. Uh, so Derek has all kinds of written stuff on 1500ESPN.com, and uh, and you can also find our Touch 'Em All Twins podcast. And tonight, Twins and the Gophers are going to play. It's the first real game action for the Twins and then a bunch of spring training games for the next month. So, Derek, we'll catch up again tomorrow, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out your guys' podcast to hear what this argument was about. I'm excited. So oh, uh, this, You and I can get into this on our podcast, but <laughs> don't, don't answer the question. We'll do it on the podcast. Okay. Would All you right. be okay, bottom of the ninth <laughs> inning, with the team that's trailing getting to start mm. the inning with any three hitters that they want? Okay. Okay. Give that some serious thought and don't screw up. (laughs) Bye, Derek. Bye, Webber. Thank you.